0: Well, now i got to go on and request a refund for my 10-cent Cleffa. This is just ridiculous. This is a travesty. 10-cent. Ten 10-cent. Ten wizard. <laughs> what? Triggered!
1: That wizard came from the moon.
0: I just can't get over it. Honestly, listen. That slow king's pretty cool. But look at this fucking card. This is what I'm fucking talking about right here. This is the
1: shit... I'm here for. Will you focus, you son of a bitch? For listeners at home, he is showing me a shiny uh, jump pluff, which is the evolution of uh hop hip. Probably the best designed of the three. I really don't like uh skip skip plume and hop hip's kind of kind of shitty too.
0: I like hop, uh, hop hip hop hip. Hop hip. Uh, hip it's, hop. it's cute. I don't like the middle one. I think it's ugly as hell. This is adorable. And look at that foil. Look at those trees. Look at those freaking.
1: Ugh. Oh, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, jump pluff is the third one. I was thinking hop, jump, skip for some reason. But no, Top hop, skip, and a jump. I'm an idiot. Excuse me. Yeah, jump pluff jump rules. Skip plume sucks. It's, it's kind of like, okay, it's not exactly like this, but think of Mareep. Mareep is good. It's evolution. It's just a bigger Mareep. And it sucks. (laughs) And then it evolves into a goddamn Ampharos and it's pimping again. It's kind of similar to Charmander. Charmander, cool. Charmeleon, an uglier, bigger Charmander. Charizard, it's a fucking dragon. Skarmory, I love Skarmory. You're showing me Skarmory. Skarmory's my boy. Steel flying, it's sick as hell. Oh my god. I like that the whole background isn't just like sparkles, but it's actually like a kind of a cool just sort of dash of sparkles. It's nice. It's it's nice design.
0: Yeah, I mean, Neo Genesis, is it Neo Genesis? Neo... Revelation,
1: Neo, Destiny, and there's God. A fourth what one. Awful set names. Those yeah. are the worst set names I've ever heard. And I play Magic the Gathering.
0: The the Neo series is so th- this first Neo series was the last series that I collected as a kid. I remember buying a pack at the old Inner Zone comic shop right there in the Mount Hood Theater. It used to be before it moved uh, further downtown. Yep, I know what you're talking about. They had a lot of like basketball cards that my brother would go and get there. Yep. Um, I I bought a pack and I pulled a, a foil
1: for alligator, right by the glass butterfly. Am I right? Right, which is like still there. Yep, still there. I don't know how. How is there two locations? The one by Safeway gets robbed like
0: once a week. Well, fucking, there's Gresham for you. For those listening, I was out card at card shops with the little little brother, ten year old, and we, you know, I just was looking through some stuff and kind of had this itch, something I've been thinking about forever. I remember back in like 2015. Sitting on my couch and browsing through old Ken Sugimori art and just being like, dude, the nostalgia right now, of these old Pokemon cards is fucking me up. And we t- chatted a little bit about it. And I was like, oh, how much would it cost to like go buy a full set or whatever? And I was like, ah, 400 bucks. I'm like, God, man, I don't want to drop 400 bucks on Pokemon cards. But I always had in the back of my mind, I'm going to like complete my childhood collection, right? And I even went so far to say, I'm going to buy the same binder I had with the three Evolutions and, and Pikachu on the front. It was a little four-pocket four uh, little binder. And I remember as a kid, like my mom having bought me two of these binders, and my goal was to put all 151 Pokemon in order. And I remember sitting in the basement and sorting all my cards. My mom was helping me sort everything according to the order of my Pokemon book. You know, and had all 151. And I was like, I want to complete that one day and just have it. So last year... No, it had to have been longer than a year ago, maybe two years ago now. I bought a bunch of Pokemon cards from a buddy of mine, and I bought that vintage binder, Nick. I bought it on eBay, like, last year now. Vintage. So it started, like, two, two some, two and a half years ago. Bought some cards. Last year, I bought the binder. And then this year, I just was like, fuck it. I'm just, like, I'm just going to buy a couple of cards and get this train a- rolling, right? Fast forward now, however long it's been, and I've, I've almost completed... Oh, like five of the eight sets I want to complete. So it's been cool. It's been fun. It's something me and the little man got to do a little bit. Relive some nostalgia. Not a
1: huge, huge investment yet. Yeah, you guys are just driving around to different card shops around the area. It's right. pretty cool. It's a good way to go about it. I know you're just talking about doing the eBay or the TCG player kind of thing, but that's that takes all the work out of it, which takes all the fun out of
0: it. Which... Several years ago, I was like, oh, if I had the money, I would have just bought the collections to have. But I'm finding that the pleasure is being derived from going to the shop, digging through piles of cards, finding, oh, there's the one card I don't have, you know, negotiating with the guy behind the counter, like, hey, how much you selling that Charizard for? Mm, how about this? You know, trading in some old cards and then sorting them all, right? Like making my spreadsheet and sorting all the cards and, you know, figuring out what I still need to get. I was like, you know, that was worth it for a weekend of fun. And now I'll complete my my sets in the next little bit and I'll move on. However, I must say, other than just being a nostalgia trip, which, you know, my collecting habits have transitioned, right? From just sort of the shotgun approach of like, I just want to buy everything good. And, and it's still a quality collection, but it's, it's irresponsible financially to just be like, I'm going to buy this game because it's good and I have the money to buy it. So I'm trying to really just hone in on like, what I want to experience and have the time and, and you know capacity to experience or something I have nostalgia with, right? Right. So I've gotten rid of a lot of really good games. I'm getting rid of a lot of really good games, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, and collecting games, I think, is a little bit different too because you're actually interacting with them right. a lot more than you are with the cards. Like the cards are there purely as a, hey, I'm going to look at this thing. You're not going to play the Pokemon trading card game. And right. if you are, you're not going to be playing with Neo Genesis cards or whatever. Sure, sure, sure. What format is that legal in? Right. Is it playable? Whatever. I have no interest in collecting a thing that I'm not going to interact with, I guess. No, I and I, I totally respect that. You know, and for me, it's just, I remember back
0: four years ago, looking at those cards for the first time in a long time. I mean, probably since I was 10 years old. And dude, it messed me up. Weird. I had a couple of moments that year, 2015, 2016. That that year at college, I had a few moments where like nostalgia just ripped me to shreds, and now I don't really have that as much. Like that, like really, just like visceral emotional response to something that I experienced as a child. I haven't had that in a couple of years. I'm glad
1: you've you've grown out of your midlife crisis.
0: It's a whole different kind of crisis now, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so now that you're in your twilight years, <laughs> yeah. But but anyway, I thought you know, other than other than being nostalgic, uh, a fun thing, and I've I've totally been talking your head off now for eight minutes, but. Um, other than just being something that I can sort of enjoy sort of a low stake thing amidst all the chaos of my life right now. It's also led me back to Magic the Gathering. It was funny because Magic, I got into Magic because it was like reminded me of Pokemon as a kid, playing Pokemon, collecting the cards. And so now it's sort of the inverse has happened. It's kind of fun. It has led me back to Magic, which got you and I talking about Magic. and, And obviously we can dive into the history of Magic the Gathering, our history of it rather but we spent some time this weekend playing some some magic. So that's what we're talking about today. Uh, eight minutes in, Consul Crusade podcast, EJ Olsen, Nick Derheim, we're doing this thing. Hey. <laughs> we're,
1: yeah, so 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 all that to say, it's been a fun last couple of days. We played some IRL, in-person, hand-on-paper magic this past weekend. Had you and uh, our buddy Andrew over. The Grand and, Gamer. Um, the Windows the Defender. Grand, dude, the the Consul Crusader, the, the man himself. And we, uh, you had brought some of your EDH decks, which I don't think we ended up using at all, but we were just playing around and sort of just chatting about the current sort of state of magic and like what we want from it, I guess, from a a game that's constantly uh, releasing new cards and just put out MTG arena, which is like a free to play kind of, kind of card game version on like on the computer. It's a, it's a video game version which they've had before, but they've always been kind of shitty. Like Magic Online is from the 90s and they did those. Uh, com- it was Duel of the Planeswalkers. P- Duel of the Planeswalkers, yeah. man. I played that. Trying to get people from Xbox 360 to get hop in yep. and awful animations. But yeah, I've been just kind of interested in checking out what's going on with that again. It's just tough because I'm very casual. I don't want to spend a ton of money yeah. on this I don't want to chase the standard format. No. You know, I don't want to play modern because that's even more expensive. I don't really want to go to events necessarily because it's not that I'm like against socializing with other people that I have hobbies similar to, but that's always my least favorite thing of interacting with that hobby. Like going to shows and like seeing the show bros at shows is my least favorite part of going to a show. Sure. You know, I want to see the band play. I like the band. I don't like the people who like the band. So that's been kind of a tough thing to wrestle with with a, a game like Magic where it's so dependent on playing with other people that you basically have to stick to your friend group. And like so many of you guys have also dropped off and it's been kind of hard to keep up with it or have a reason to keep up with it to an extent. Like I mentioned earlier, back
0: in 2011, 2012, when we started playing, I kind of went full retard, right? Which you never go full retard. Never. I Because I, it reminded me so much of like that of what I so much of my childhood was spent with Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh from from the time I was 6 years old up through middle school all I did was collect and play card games. So magic for me was like, I was like oh this is like the adult version of that.
1: Yeah cuz even at that point like back then Yu-Gi-Oh and Pokemon were sort of based on the popularity of Magic the Gathering that was like the yeah first really big like collectible card game that would continuously put out new stuff, you know. Yeah. And so so I kind of I fell in love with it and I, you know I'm
0: not nearly the player that even some of my friends are and and it's a pretty obtuse game that I somehow found a way to understand and play and enjoy I only fell off because I moved to Eugene you know I moved to Eugene in fall 2014 so it was only a few short years that we really played but we were playing all the time and when I moved I I, I toyed with the idea of playing you know going to my local card shop and playing yada yada but it just I just don't I'm with, I'm with you. I don't want to go play with strangers. I want to play with my friends and being far away from my friends made it really difficult to keep up and you know then I lose the motivation to keep up on the sets and it's just you know I know you kept up on the sets and we're still building decks online until even 2 years ago.
1: Here and there it was very sure. very kind of like sparse and even keeping up like they put out a new set like every 3 months. It's too and much. Everything changes sometimes like the yeah. power creep is still it's not as bad as like maybe some other card games, but like it still happens, and like certain they'll put out something and it'll completely like neuter or make something irrelevant from prior, and it's hard to keep up with. And this is why I think modern is really cool. And the thing about modern is you're
0: right. The the and, and again for those listening who don't play Magic, um, there are different formats. Magic releases at, you know x amount of sets a year. I think now it's three sets a year. Now they've gone down to. And they have a standard format where all the sets from the last two years are like standard legal, right? You can play these cards in tournaments and blah, blah, blah. And it rotates every new set. Another set rotates out essentially or every six months a set rotates out or whatever it is, right?
1: Yeah, it's like it goes by blocks because it's like it's formatted as you're going to these different. It's like a multiverse. So you're going to this different universe and then those cards are flavored. They're like. There's a story kind of going on, which you don't really need to pay attention to, but it's like, oh, this place is sort of like, like we were talking about um, over the weekend, there's a set called Ixalan, which was basically this Central American Incan Mayan kind of vibe. But then there's like pirates and dinosaurs had a really cool kind of vibe to it. And then before that or after that was a Monquette, which is very Egyptian based. There was the Khans of Tarkir, which was like Mongolian based. There's like a lot of really cool kind of flavors to these different um, blocks. Right. And yeah, like you're saying, it just rotates every few things. So it's like, that's something that's really expensive because you have to keep buying new cards instead of, you have to buy new decks essentially every couple of years. It's such a financial, and like the barrier entry
0: where it's like, they have products for like bottom tier magic players. You can buy an intro deck, you can buy a, you can buy a dual deck, you can buy a whatever pre-constructed deck, but it's, we are more advanced players without more advanced funds or more advanced desire to spend that money you know what i mean exactly yeah
1: but the cool thing like it's tough because the cool thing about standard is that because of the card pool is so limited it makes the interactions more interesting because with limitation breeds creativity and then also it's easier for wizards of the coast to actually balance out okay this is going to be in standard with this i mean they still have to ban things because they underestimate the power of something but it makes it a more balanced metagame compared to an eternal format like legacy or modern where modern started in like 2011 it's like every card from 2011 till now with a band list and then legacy which is every card from inception to now with a band list and then you know different formats have their own struggles and right i actually wanted to mention something to you on this topic because this morning wizards of the coast announced a new format really a new non-rotating format called pioneer Huh. Which is uh basically everything from Return to Ravnica until now, with the only banned cards being the fetch lands from Cons of Tarkir, which are the Allied Fetchlands. So the ones that you would sack and search for a island and a plains, for example. Interesting.
0: Okay. So the thing about different formats, and when you look at the legacy the modern and now, you know, the pioneer, things that are just gatekeeping, which sets are, are legal, it's because it's like you said, the power creep and just how like things get so outrageous. And we're gonna get to the video game. There are a lot of video game components here, and this is why we're, we're sort of prefacing with all of this. But not only staying in standard is it is it outrageously expensive just to keep buying things to stay competitive, but in something modern, we have years and years to build a really viable deck. It's it's a thousand dollars for a good modern deck, upwards of of five plus thousand dollars for like a competitive like tourney-ready, top-eight fucking modern deck. And and I, I believe wholeheartedly that you can build budget decks, spend 50 bucks, 100 bucks, and be competitive with your friends and competitive even at a local shop.
1: You're only as competitive with your friends as basically how much money they choose to spend on it, too.
0: To a degree, to a degree. But what I'm learning is I'm going through all my old decks, I'm revamping things for modern, I'm looking at new decks. Most of the cost is just in making your deck faster if that makes sense and if you eliminate a lot of that the deck is uh, you know ostensibly the same but f- magnitudes cheaper and it's like why well, I don't i don't need to win on turn three when i'm playing with my buds like we can all get rid of all the fancy lands and the fancy mana ramp and like have still the same deck essentially that's super
1: fun and actually get a game out of it right and the reason why those those things are often more expensive is because they are faster Right, like if you can pay one mana to deal three damage to your opponent as opposed to two mana, you're gonna to want to pay the one mana, which makes that card cost twice as much.
0: Right, and so I was looking at like uh, one of the formats we play is commander, where it's you have a single commander card um, that you can cast at any point, and it's a hundred card singleton, right, no duplicates. Whereas a typical deck is sixty cards, up to four of each card and and that's that's more of a statistics game you build your your strategy you have your your one win condition and you stack the numbers in your favor whereas EDH or commander is is different the strategies are different the decks are different you can have a a 30 dollar deck and be competitive with an outrageously expensive deck and that's why i think we gravitated towards commander my talran deck that i built 7 years ago is never not going to be like a solid fun competitive deck you know it could be improved well, f- fun well, fun for me, not fun for any of you guys, because it's a mean-ass deck. Well, maybe deck. if you
1: took your turns faster. I mean, it's okay if you're taking turns, but, like, you're so goddamn slow. Yeah, well, yeah, when you have six turns stacked on top of each other, it's like, you will be so quick.
0: Whose fault is it that you have six turns? Uh, I'm just saying. I know. So we're trying to be cheaper with, with magic, and I think there's still a way, and I'm still an advocate for this- I still I want to be able to play paper magic again with my buds. I want to build a couple more commander decks. I want to build another budget modern deck or two, and just like, hey, we're just gonna like get together and play some some magic on a Friday. Like, I want to get back to that. Some of my f- favorite times as a, as an adult with all my buds, whether it's back when we lived together playing magic, or back when you know I had the apartment and you'd walk over and we would play one on one, or when you know a couple years after that we're going over to Trevor's house going to the zone, drinking beers, playing Smash Bros, playing Magic, listening to tunes. Like, just really good memories. I'm like, I just, you know, I want to go back to 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 having this thing that brought us all together to do something, you know? and it, mm-hmm. And this game that we all enjoy so much. So, as far as the video games go, I want to preface further by diving into Magic's first foray, well, not first foray, first mainstream foray into video games because we had, there was a, there's like a PS1 era Magic the Gathering game that was not We tried wood.
1: playing it. We did like Battle Mage. Is that right? It sounds right. They also had like PC games and stuff like that. And then, like I said, Magic Online. But besides like Duel of the Planeswalkers, this is like the first game that they put out since Hearthstone and games of that ilk sort of made CCG games sort of popular and viable as a platform. Duel of the Planeswalkers
0: was their first really like, hey, we're trying to tap into this market that doesn't exist yet. It was pre-Hearthstone. It was, a, it was a console game and, they, and it was a PC game and it was more or less standard magic, uh, 60 card. Yeah. had like weird story elements to it, I
1: remember. Like you'd be like, I'm going to fight Jace.
0: I think for what it was at the time, it was it was a solid entry into, I guess, this world that hadn't really been established yet. And I played it for a while, but it was slow. There wasn't a lot of customization and it was really more like, a, hey, I'm going to play this for a weekend and move on. And that failed they did a couple years. They did the Duel of the Planet Walkers 12, 13, 14, I think. And it just sort of fizzled out. And obviously, you mentioned MTGO, which still has a very vibrant community, but it's hyper-competitive, very expensive. It is not something that you or I would ever think about getting into. I'm not spending the kind of money on a digital game. And and the players are hardcore. It's not just a hey, let's have fun with our buds.
1: I guess like the only reason I would I would ever try and do MTGO would be if I were to want to play like draft stuff because they have like cheap drafts sometimes. Yeah, I guess. I mean, honestly, I love playing sealed
0: and draft. I I was on tappedout.com, which is a deck building website, and I found something I didn't find the other night. I found just last night was my the Theros draft we did and I did a whole breakdown of my my deck and I was reading through this multiple paragraphs about like how the day went how the draft went you know hate drafting red in my mono black deck and it turned into a black with a splash of red and that's where the the infamous meme came from you know uh, I'm I'm real concerned with my converted mana cost shout out to the episode title <laughs> and I was reading through I'm like god damn man like I just I just had a lot of fun with this but but I wouldn't I wouldn't go into that and say, all right, I'm going to spend cash on this. So, so this leads us to two things, Nick. One is when I was like, hey, we should play Magic again. Like, let's fuck around and play Magic again. And we kind of went back and forth on, well, do we want to spend the money? Do we want to do this? Do we want to do that? We said, why isn't there just a way to play Magic online? Like, why isn't there some bootleg-ass client that we can just play Magic with? You know? Like, just build a fucking jank deck and just play. Someone has to have done this, right? So you went and found a client called Xmage.
1: Well I'd known about Xmage for a while. I just hadn't like actually tried using it because I didn't think anybody would really care to try and interact with this janky fucking made in like Russia or whatever. It's janky too, dude. <laughs> it's so janky. It's surprisingly like good for the level of jank it has. Like it's right. definitely, you know, free software, right? right? The UI is awful
0: and the sound effects are hilarious and there's definitely a, a learning curve with how to navigate things. You download all 36,000 cards in the history of Magic and they have these online rooms. You connect to the server of your choice. You build a deck, you load a deck up and for all intents and purposes, you and I connect to a game together and we're playing a full game of Magic. It has all the rules built in. It, it, it automates
1: a lot of stuff. Yeah, it tracks everything for you. The automation is rough because like... We both experienced it's tough dealing with the rules of magic, the gathering, not like face to face and sort of like, oh, you're casting a spell. I could counter it, but I'm not saying anything. So you're just going to be like, OK, well, then, it's re- then it resolves. And it's not like the the handshake back and forth. That would be more actually how you would play if you're playing competitively. But it's actually automated into the system where it's like, hey, he did something. Do you want to do something? And you're like, Nah. I'll, I'll press a button so that I'll skip to my next turn because I can't do anything on his turn, but it won't work sometimes because fuck, I right. don't know. <laughs> so you're constantly having to babysit like passing uh priority during
0: phase to, phase to phase, to phase, to phase, to turn, to turn. And that can be a little weird, but you know, we were getting a good rhythm. So we started this the other night. We we threw in a couple of old uh, modern decks we had built and we just were trying to get the hang of the UI and, and the back and forth. And we played probably 10 games. I'd say I was just having a goddamn blast. Like we we're sitting here and I'm like, I'm trying to kind of get my bearings again with magic. And like, what, are this, what does this card do? And what was this strategy? And my brain is so much different than it was six years ago. Right. And I, I feel that. So like, I, I'm very aware of that lately. And this is only exacerbating that. And I, I was even reading on tapped out some of my descriptions and some of the banter I had with other people on the website. I was like, what the fuck? What was wrong with me? How did I do this back then? <laughs> like, my brain, I'm just, I got old man brain already. So, you know, I was getting my bearings a little bit, but I was just having a blast and I'm like, dude, I could, you know, I could do this all night. I think we played till like, you know, two in the morning the other night or whatever. I think this could be a really cool way if we do, and this is a big if just because of the personnel involved. If we do start playing Magic again, which I think is a very real possibility, right? If, hey guys, Friday night, EDH, I'm sure that could happen, right? Right. But if we do do this, there's a very clear desire from both of us to not spend a fuck ton of money the way we were. Don't want to be buying fucking packs unless we're drafting it, right? Don't want to be... I don't want to go spend hundreds of dollars on a competitive quote-unquote deck. I think X-Mage is a really cool way to even like, hey, I want to build this new EDH deck that'll always be there and be fun, right? Without having to, like, A print out a fucking hundred different pictures and cut them out and put them into sleeves like an asshole like we used to do. Or B, spend just a bunch of money and then be like, well, that was a waste of money. I don't need all these fucking cards. This deck didn't work. We can hop on X-Mage, do some play testing, see like, hey, is this worth investing in? And that's that's really cool. And so this weekend, I just had this itch, man. I was like, hey, you know, because I bought I, or I downloaded MPG Arena, which I want to talk about in a bit. I've been watching magic stuff on, on YouTube, trying to like catch up with like, What have I missed? Just trying to wrap my head around this very, very obtuse game again. So yeah, X-May just kind of scratched that itch and has helped me get my bearings again.
1: I'm happy that you're actually enjoying it. I was afraid that it would be too obtuse and that you would just bounce off it because... That's what I do? Yeah, it's what you do, and it would be totally understandable if you did that. I still need to actually play a game with Andrew. I think I got him to download it, but I doubt he's actually opened it. Yeah. But it's just... It's fun to play Magic the Gathering. It's a good game. It's just hard because it's fucking expensive. It that's that's exactly it. And I you know, I remember the feeling I had back in the day when I discovered this game. Pretty sure it was Mac who got us into it, right? Yeah, Mac and Dylan bought uh commander decks and I think they were they started playing like M11, which mm-hmm. I think was the set before Innistrad. Yep. So, yeah, that was my first experience was Uh, Mac put together a blue white deck, I think, for me from like pre constructed stuff. I remember there was like a Stormtide Leviathan in there. That was like the first big splashy creature that I ever got to cast. And then, sort of, just keeping up with the Innistrad block was just like, I think I didn't actually buy anything until maybe Dark Ascension, which was the second set in that block. But there was such cool mechanics in that deck and it was so flavorful like the zombies and like the sort of coastal horror of the early or late 18th century 19th century whatever this is really uh fun environment to start playing in yeah zombies are cool man werewolves are cool Dude, vampires fuck yeah fuck me up i found my budget uh my budget
0: zombie deck last night that uh old jeff at nexus built for me at our old card shop
1: like diagraph captain and and um probably no uh geralt's messenger because that was an expensive card Maybe a grave crawler or two. It was a grave crawler. There was a um,
0: a Geralt. That's the three black. Yeah, Geralt's messenger. Yeah, totally was four of that motherfucker.
1: He's like a fifteen or something dollar card. He's
0: expensive now. I was shocked to see how that budget zombie deck is worth a few hundred now.
1: Grave especially I think was the is the most playable card in older formats. Right? Who was the um? Who was the the real chonker, The the big guy? The
0: big mythic zombie? Oh, uh, these the blue the blue black guy. Grim Grin is one of them, and he's in the deck. Grim Grin. Grim Grin's fun. He's a chonker. There's a different one though, Macias. No, that he's the spooky vampire guy. No, he's a zombie. No, he's not. He's a zombie. Macias. Yeah. Is he a big floating Michaelis guy? The, the unhallowed. He gives everyone uh, undying. Oh right. No. He, he, ah, fuck not. A, big guy with a sword. Titan. Something.
1: Titan. Oh, Grave Titan. Is it just Grave Titan? Like I looked that up now. Is it's he Grave Titan or Graveyard Titan? Grave Titan. Yeah, Grave Titan. Grave Titan. He's got, like, zombies coming out his tummy. <laughs> oh, dude, what a... what a. He's not a zombie. He's a giant. Or is he zombie giant? He's a giant. Hell yeah. So fuck you. He's not a zombie. <laughs> got him, bitch. I gotta go
0: look at my deck now. Was it Grave Titan? That sounds right. It must have been. Anyway, I just remember, like, discovering magic with you guys and being like, how did it take so long for us to discover this game, given our propensity towards these awful strategic... Fun, wonderful games. Totally. I mean, between video games and, like like I said, all I did from fucking age 6 to age 12 was collectible card games,
1: you know? Yeah, card games never hit me before that. I mean, I had Pokemon cards because literally everyone had Pokemon cards, but I stopped, I stopped after the first, like, two sets, you know? Like, I bought some boosters occasionally, but it right. wasn't something that I was actively seeking out. I had a binder because I think my brother had a binder, or I don't know why, but it was just like, that was... Here and gone within like a year, oh wow, okay, yeah, I mean Pokemon
0: completely sparked my obsession with collecting things, which has never really left me i like I like the idea as far as like a, an obsessive compulsive thing, a very type a right brain sort of like I gather these things, I organize these things, you know what I mean like it's a very like for a very a d h d sort of kid and very someone who struggles with, with focus. Like it gave me, it gives me a way to kind of hone my, my energy. And so mm. I've always been that way. And Pokemon started that and, and has gone through many, many forms over the years to this day at age 27. So, so yeah, X-Mage is very cool. It's a very cool uh, client. It's fucking, like you said, it's so janky, but we're going to keep fucking with it. And, and hopefully that just leads us to like, Hey, let's do fucking magic, you know, two Fridays a month. Get all the boys together. It's a reason to get together. The older you get, the harder it is to justify getting everyone together. You know, we really do it once a year with the beach. I know, I know. You guys hang out in various groups. You know, over at Jordan's or whatever. But like, it's just it's harder the older you get. Everyone's got jobs and girlfriends and and you know things change. But dude, and they're putting on pants and like leaving the house. Right, That's such a big ask. So you got it good now because you got this comfy ass basement. You don't have to ever go anywhere. <laughs>
1: dude i'm very i'm very cozy i'm settled yeah all right you'd be like boys <laughs> come over be quiet don't boys don't
0: don't <laughs> approach me, <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah i'm like i got no problem with that sign me up i had a great night friday which we've talked about but let the people know nick yeah it was a good time it's a, it a good night i guess you do a lot more of that probably so that's just a night
1: maybe not as, not as much as i would like i would like to have people over more often fair i was i was You know, I want to be a good host. So I don't want to be like, hey, come over and do whatever you want. Like, I want to be like, okay, come over. We're going to do this thing. But that's just me getting older and wanting to be like a cool friend. Fair. As opposed to being like, hey, just get my chuckle fuck friends over and they can do whatever they want and they can leave whenever they want. (laughs) You know, they're not beholden
0: to me. (laughs) I'm still way on board for that, especially the more structured my life becomes and the more responsibilities I have. And I got to be here and I got to do this. I got to call this person. I got to send this thing off. It's like, just give me a space where I can be around people. I like, which never happens. It doesn't happen at work. It doesn't necessarily happen at home because Sarah's gone all the time. And I don't have any real friends down here. Give me a place. I don't care what's happening. You can sit on your computer, play video games. I'm going to be on my phone. I might take a nap on your fucking couch. I'm all about that, but I understand the idea of not wanting to just have people, people over and,
1: there's a fear of people being bored maybe, but I got no problems. It's it's a little bit of that, but for me personally, if I go through a weekend and I don't feel like I made good t- use of that time, then I feel a little bit guilty about it. Fair. Maybe not necessarily like, oh, that was wasted opportunity, but kind of close to that, you know? It's like, oh man, I could have, like if I don't play enough of a video game or something like i really wanted to play more blasphemous and i didn't get a chance to do that and then i'm like well god damn it, i missed my opportunity because i'm not gonna be able to find the time i mean i totally could find plenty of time during the week but it's like other stuff happens and i'm like sure sitting on twitter for an hour for no goddamn reason i'm making food and like talking to you on the internet not a waste but like i'm not doing the thing that right. i kind of wanted to do prior sure. you know
0: I do find guilt in if I waste my weekend or my evenings like literally just sitting on my phone or or like on Reddit or on my computer like so I totally understand that anytime I'm with people that I want to be with if I'm having a good laugh if I'm like those are all wins for me especially with how crazy my life has been it's just like yo I gotta come home for a night sit on my ass and do literally fuck all. Like, that's a win. That, that made the weekend for me. Cause, like I said, I don't, I don't get to do any of that down here. I, I don't have anybody that I can call and say, Hey, yo, come over. Like, Sarah was out of town this weekend and I was like, Yo, this would be perfect night to like have the boys over and like drink some beers. And do. I was like, Oh, well, eh, who am I going to call at Saturday at nine o'clock at night? Hey, Nick, drive down to fucking Eugene. Like, that's not going to happen.
1: You know? Yeah, no. <laughs> you, you, you come down twice a year, which I'm very grateful for. I do what I can. It's, it's tough. Not because you're so far away, but. I mean that is like a compounding factor, but like I said, I'm cozy, I'm settled.
0: Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get and you it. love being up here more than I like being down there. Yeah, but you know, I'm gonna get you down here in December. I'm getting you down here once the Christmas vibes are going. Don't you can't fight it. I gotta do it. It's gotta happen. I gotta go down there. Bring bring Dre or something. You know,
1: once the the, the Chris, cozy Christmas vibes, cook some food. You gotta come up here for Christmas too. I mean, you're probably gonna be up here visiting visiting mom and dad. I mean. But- we have, I think, the same two week break. Yeah, we have a very similar overlap. Yeah, um, I have a little bit of traveling to do, but maybe like the day or two after Christmas, because what Christmas is on like a Wednesday or something this year. Um, oh shoot, I gotta figure out. Anyway, total aside, I
0: gotta figure out what that, with that. I, I, I would eye more the end of November, beginning of December kind of thing, because then I'm basically in Portland for four days, the second week of December in the studio, and then like. I'm back at work for three days and then I have my Christmas break through the end of the year. So I wouldn't be in Eugene like at all.
1: But anyway. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. Yeah. but So Magic the Gathering. Anything else you want to say about, about X-Mage and our experience with that this weekend? Not necessarily. I kind of just wanted to bring up the new format thing because I feel like that's a huge kind of shakeup, And it's also like a weirdly Wizards-ish way of doing things because I, you've been playing Arena so I don't know if you're aware of there's a a format they have on there that's like not a real format, but it's their version of like a more non-rotating format called like historic. I guess I I don't have any experience with that yet. Okay, so basically they made a format that's sort of similar to because they have to keep adding cards like on a card by card basis in a lot of uh, a lot of ways because of how rule intensive the game is. It's kind of hard to program a game without each card being like its own separate case, right? Like some of them, it's just like, this is a creature that it's just, it just has power and toughness and that's it. But a lot of creatures interact in like really weird ways, like the end of the battlefield and something crazy happens. So they kind of have to like program it on a card by card basis uh, for those cards. And since they've been adding cards so slowly, they've been like, okay, well, if you get these older cards, they're all just legal in this like online only format. So people are a little bit upset that they're introducing this pioneer format when they have this other historic format on the MTG arena and that they're like not equal citizens in wizard's eyes and whatever. That's like all yeah. kind of like internet kerfuffle stuff. But I wonder what the, the pricing for Pioneer is going to be. And if the deck variety is going to be as vast as modern is without being as expensive.
0: Inevitably it will grow to be similar in price, but it, it'll be an interesting turnover period where people are trying to figure out the meta and, and, what combinations can we still pull off? What new combinations are open now that some of these really OP decks from modern are a factor, like definitely a, a, a quick and dirty way to be like, all right, here's something new and exciting without really doing any work.
1: Yeah. It's like banning all of the most powerful cards and decks basically from modern and saying, Hey, play nerfed versions of those. Yeah. So it's interesting because there's no other banned cards except for those fetch lands that I mentioned earlier but you're right. not gonna see you're not gonna see Eldrazi Tron, you're not gonna be seeing uh even like Gen Midrange, you don't get the Liliana of the Veil, you don't get the really powerful discard effects, and the mana fixing is a lot worse. So I just wonder what the what the decks that will rise in prominence will be. It's kind of interesting to speculate. I mean, from an actual like value speculators market, I'm sure there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna be having a heyday with this buying up a lot of cards that they think are going to skyrocket in value if they if yep. this format actually takes off because Wizards has introduced a bunch of different formats that never took off. Right. Like tell me what you're doing with your extended deck or your tiny leaders deck or your brawl deck or your frontier deck. Like no one's those words mean nothing to you. Right, <laughs> but then, they're not real. On the other hand, modern wasn't real
0: less than a decade ago and now it is I hesitate to say the most ubiquitous format, but th- the best players are playing modern. All the big money people, the Pro Tour, are
1: it's modern. Um, they, they still do the standard Pro Tour every year, but... My my reason for gravitating towards modern, I mean, besides the fact that it was introduced right when we were starting to play, because it was introduced in 2011, it had only the newer card art, like the new card borders. And I don't like the old card borders. I think it looks really ugly. So that was like the main reason. And then also the old cards had like really weird formatting. Everything was like written out completely differently and it didn't make a goddamn, like, a sense.
0: Wait, wait, so is Return to Ravnica when they introduced the new
1: New Border with the new typeface? No, they did that uh, a couple years after. Damn. I think it was was right before Khan's It was right after Theros, I guess. Yeah, it was after Theros. It was whatever the set was after Theros.
0: I I still am finding it hard to believe that the Theros block came after Ravnica because I didn't play almost at all during Ravnica. I, I, it honestly was like... I remember buying a fat pack. I remember, you know, adding a couple of those things to some of my decks. But I I just remember, like, tricolored is too much for me. It's just, like, too much to try and build a deck on my own. And, like, it's just too much. But, like, I got hardcore into Theros. That's when we did our first draft. We went to the Born of the Gods pre-release for that second set. Like, and then I moved shortly thereafter. But I'm like, damn, I really skipped that whole Ravnica block. Like, I, I don't remember. We didn't do any events. We didn't. I didn't build any decks with really with those cards. Like it just
1: kind of a blip. My red blue deck was Ravnica Theros mm. stuff because I had cards from Ravnica. I bought a uh, booster box and I was still like keeping up with that a little bit. Not really building standard decks, but like I was familiar with the cards at least because even after Theros is kind of like where I dropped off or after Khans or Turkey or whatever was kind of like where I dropped off a cliff completely and didn't like keep track with any of that stuff like I would occasionally see it on my timeline because I still follow Mark Rosewater on Twitter but beyond that it's like I really got a very slight smattering of that right I'm sitting
0: here saying I didn't play at all during that era and I guess I technically didn't really play for those s- six months I guess but um I realized the after Born of the Gods came out the um the red deck wins that I put together it's like oh what do I have Ash Zealot and Boros Reckoner and those are that's all Ravnica and Gatecrash shit but it, but it had a lot of the stuff from uh, Theros. Well,
1: it was probably when Theros first dropped, so it was just that first set. Yep. And then you're just like, whatever, you're working, you're working backwards from there, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I did the uh, Firefish Striker and the
0: Rakdos Calculator. So I guess I did, I did do stuff with that uh, set. But anyway, it's, that's a total aside. But uh, the thing that's cool about Magic Arena, and I haven't fully sort of uh, dived into this, but it's cool for a few things. First of all, it is not a pay to play in the traditional sense. There are a few reasons for someone like me to play. Sealed draft players, they do free drafts every week. You just hop in, you play, you win some fucking you win some cards. That's cool. For someone who just wants to draft, I just I, if we could just have a draft every month with the boys, I would be real happy. It's just that's it's a fun low-stake way to get in work your brain a little bit, build a deck on the fly, put it to use and, and just, you know, kill some shit without like, oh, this person spent, you know, a hundred dollars on their deck and my deck only costs 30 bucks. And it's like, then you have all the interpersonal dynamics, people getting mad, you're targeting me and it's not fair. Cause I keep, it's like everyone's on the even playing field. You get to immerse yourself in a set without the overhead. Um, and
1: do you have any idea how hard it would be? like you say you're doing like you can do like free drafts and stuff Uh, do we all draft together Uh in arena yeah can it be like hey you me and Andrew are going to do a draft and it's just going to fill up with like five other randos or that I don't know like 13 other randos if they're in a 16 person
0: yeah I don't know if that's um, I don't know if that's a thing or if it's just you have to go play with randos online I mean I'd love to do a physical I'd like to do an in-person draft right that would be fun every new set do a draft or two but... Only if we can, like, uh, throw away all the cards afterwards. I mean, hey, I you know, I got room in my garage. But there has to also be, like, oh, you're investing, you know, if we have a full draft group. It's, you know, it's a few bucks. I wanted that to be worth it for somebody. It's it like, adds up. It's, like, what, 15 bucks for three packs? Something like that, yeah. So 15 bucks a person, essentially. Yeah. I guess we did a booster box last time. We had, like, prize packs, right? And But we didn't run Robin properly, and it was whatever. But... Yeah, no, I think, so so anyway, Magic Arena, they have their own proprietary format, but also, obviously, standard, so for me, it was like, oh, this is a cool way to jump in, re-familiarize myself with magic, learn the new set, and, and just start small, right? I can't catch up on seven years of magic, so instead of getting overwhelmed, I hop in, I'm just going to play standard, I'm just going to draft, which that's just one set, right? That's fucking 180 cards or whatever, just one block. A lot of times, right? A new set, right? So, so it's 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 bite size. You're doing triple throne. <laughs> I guess I've
1: never drafted any other way other than just a, a single set. A lot of times, they'll after the second block, they'll do like a split where it's like sure. two to the first one and one of the second one or one of the first one to the second one. Yeah, that makes sense. Magic Arena is cool. It's it's much better than Duels
0: of the Planeswalkers or whatever, as far as the UI goes and in the in the pacing. It's, it's kind of a half measure. It's like, this should be on iPads. This should be the Hearthstone, right? Like, Hearthstone, I guess, is not in a great spot right now, but it was really a, a sort of changed the landscape for these types of games It ushered in a new era of, of the collectible card game on mobile. And it's like, Magic, you should have been at the forefront of this, and you should be pioneers in this, in this genre right now. And they're, they're really playing catch-up. You know, Arena is only PC. You don't have a mobile version. Uh, they don't have it even you know, on my Mac. I couldn't play it on my fucking laptop. So that's a little frustrating, but they're getting there. The UI is, is pretty intuitive, all things considered, and it's technically still a beta right now. So keep that in mind. It's still technically a beta, but it's intuitive. It's like, okay, it, it highlights the things that you can play when you can play it, depending on your mana, the, 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 the turn, the phases. It automates a lot of things, it, whereas like X-Mage is very frustrating because you're trying to babysit everything, and, and it's back and forth. This does a good job of automating. It highlights your options when you have options. So it really kind of holds your hand, which is great for beginning players or people who are coming back to the game like me. And totally customizable, right? Uh, You do daily uh, quests, quote-unquote, daily... um, You have like a a task list, like play X amount of this color spell. So then it's it's kind of forcing you to do some diverse things. I want to play a red deck today. And then obviously if you want to hop in and play competitively, Maybe you got to drop a little bit of money into their, um, I don't know, coins, gems, spirit,
1: tokens, what the fuck ever their currency is, right? To buy packs. You can only buy packs. You can't buy, uh, you can't just buy individual cards. Right. Right. Uh,
0: But I think that's, that kind of, for now, I'm okay with that. They do, you know, I I will say, first off, I jumped in, Nick, and got to, I think I, I got like, 15 free packs or just some codes floating around that are all active still for packs. I got like 15 packs downloaded them all, owned a bunch of stuff. And then they have this system where like every X amount of cards you open, you get like a, a mythic token or, or a rare token or an uncommon token. And you trade all those in for specific cards that you want. And so that's kind of a cool way of like, okay, I keep winning packs and, and, and then I can kind of customize specifically again, if you're playing competitively, yeah, it's going to be some pay to play. Like, I don't necessarily want to do that. Right now, I'm, I'm playing bots. Just, again, re-familiarizing myself with the game. And and I want to do some drafts, which doesn't require any upfront investment. You know, I don't need to have a deck built. Um, so so it's it's a really low-stake thing for me where I don't necessarily envision dropping cash on it, but I'm still playing fucking Magic. Full, full-fledged, full uh, a lot less janky than X-Mage. And so... Um, I mean, we were late to start this podcast because you were trying to call me and I was fucking <laughs> I was playing magic. It's good though. I came off with three straight losses to the fucking bot. So that was frustrating. Trying to man is screwed, man. I gotta get
1: in there and add some more lands. Well, maybe we can hop into X Mage and we'll see what your win-loss ratio is there. It's not gonna be great. I lost to you a lot. Hey, you ended on a high note. You beat me
0: that last game I we did. I did, I did. Well, I had a couple of issues. There are two games that I totally would have beat you, but I one game you you just the last minute, you you fucked me up, and I was mana screwed. And the second game, I accidentally targeted my guy instead of you. That was just a UI jank, and I was like, "You gotta be fucking kidding me!" So I don't think you would have won that game, regardless. But that was a really bad play that you did. <laughs> it was it was a really bad play, uh, but it's fun though. I, and we're gonna we're gonna build some more decks and toss some stuff in Xmage, and, and again, just fuck around with it. But and it's by no means I think a replacement, nor is something like NTG Arena. Again, the idea of hopping in and playing Magic for an hour before bed every night is is cool. That's cool to me, and I'm glad there's a proper avenue for that. Again, Magic... We, listen, Wizards has historically just been so anti-consumer in so many ways. They're so tone-deaf. They don't listen to people. The reserved list. Oh, my God. I can forgive them for their past mistakes. That's so old. People still bitch about it. But they've doubled down. They can't. They can't get out of it either. I was thinking about this. I, I was like, why Why can't you just say, hey, we're going to print all these fucking cards, infinite amount of cards. You're just going to buy it directly from the manufacturer. Fuck packs. Packs are fucking dumb. I understand that's how they get people to spend a whole bunch of money is playing the fucking lottery. Imagine all the money people play. Like You have the whales, right? The, the amount of money people pay directly to a card shop for the secondhand cards, you can just sell them. And instead of having this artificial market where this fucking card is worth $60, which is retarded, you just say, okay, we're going to sell a million of these things at whatever price we want. Like, it's not going to change the meta in the sense that, like, that card is still good. People are still going to want to buy it, but it's more accessible. But I was thinking about it. You know where most of the product goes from Wizards? They sell as much as they do, millions and millions and millions of dollars in card sales. It is not you or I, Right it is not my little brother buying packs at Walmart. It
1: yeah, it's is, the
0: card shops. It's the card shops who buy, they buy massive amounts and not for distribution in the traditional sense, right? No, they open
1: them because they can sell the Singletons exactly. for a lot more. Yeah, it's a it's an unwritten sort of agreement because otherwise the card shops, would it be, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't make as much money as they do. They, I mean,
0: and they struggle to to keep their doors open as it is. They, they straight up wouldn't exist if Wizards if did
1: that. It's a very tenuous balance and I understand not abolishing something like the reserved list or selling singletons straight from uh, wizards of the coast themselves, but it's still an expensive game to play if you want to get into it. Yeah. And I think that speaks to the desirability of the cards themselves and like the, the game that people actually play, but that sucks. It just sucks. Cause we're priced out of it. Cause we're cheap ass, broke ass millennials. Well, and this is the thing where once upon a time,
0: maybe I could justify the investment. But you can really only play if you have a play group. And if your play group decides they don't want to invest in it anymore, they don't want to play anymore, they don't have time to play anymore, then you're shit out of luck. I was reading some forums and people were just bitching about the cost of the game and and the inflation. and, And some people were like, dude, you buy a $400 video game console. You buy a game for $60 that you play for 10 to 40 to 100 hours. You probably never play it again. He's like... This deck might cost me a couple hundred bucks, but it will always be viable. It will always be fun. I can literally always play it. It's not going to... You don't need to update it in 10 years. It's not going anywhere. It's not... And I'm like, okay, I see that from that standpoint. As a hobby, there's maybe there's more upfront costs, but but if it's something that like, hey, if I had not stopped playing Magic, I think I'd be a lot more keen on like, hey, look at this game that we played for eight years straight. It doesn't seem like as much of an investment when it's like, oh, I haven't had to spend money right on cards in fucking five years because i have the decks i want and maybe you do a little bit here a little bit
1: there but i think yeah that is the biggest deterrent to building standard if you're not like trying to actually actively compete and like win money from it yeah is that your standard deck is not viable anymore after two years and it's also not valuable anymore after two years like you were talking about with your boros reckoners <sighs> Dude, I don't know how... Infamously. I, I mean, those were like probably 10 or 15 bucks a pop. More than that. I think I spent
0: like like over 100 bucks on four Boros Reckoners at their peak. And how much are they worth now each? 89 cents a pop. So that's standard for you. Yep. Very frustrating. I man, I tried so hard to get into standard back then. I wanted to go to f and I wanted to play standard. And it, it just didn't happen. And now I, I realize the error of my ways. And, and if we do kind of get back into this thing, I, 0% chance we do. Again, I want to draft... I wanna, I wanna go to pre-release events. That's all the neck beard I can handle. I liked our experience there. I think there are probably a lot better shops to go to and better experiences to be had. But I enjoyed it, and I would mind doing that a couple times a year. Again, I wanna, I wanna draft, and I wanna keep playing EDH, and I wanna have, you know, I remember like how much fun I had with that fucking Tauran deck I built. Fucking looking at other decks and fucking around and going through and seeing what I liked and flavor wise, like. You know, I'm a big fan of flavor.
1: Yeah, I gotta go and import my uh, EDH decks into X-Mage. I wonder, I, I just wonder how that would how that how well that would work, going through and passing priority and all that shit. If like more than two people were playing, that could get out of hand real fast. We need we need. A, I can see that being like a fun thing to do, like to try out on a on a weekend night. That it's like. Super late and no one wants to get out of their house and so just like hop into Discord, get in a group call, and just be like, "All right, let's play some fucking magic, bitch!"
0: Hell yeah! I'm I'm thankful for Pokemon to leading me back to Magic, and I'm I'm thankful that Magic has finally done something halfway decent with with a. And yeah, maybe I'll
1: re-download the beta. I was playing the closed beta. I just didn't like the I didn't like the animations and the UI. It just everything was really slow, and the tutorial would like just lasted forever. I'm like, let me just play like real magic instead of you telling me how to tap a fucking forest to play a giant growth you know I, I know yeah, right that is irritating give me an option to skip this I know it's a hard game but give me an option to skip it yeah, I agree all. I agree I agree they should do that wholeheartedly
0: however I think you have missed out on a lot of really great experiences because of your impatience cool games were like fuck the tutorial I don't want to play the tutorial I just don't play the fucking game what's the game and you skip that shit and you're done and you never go back to it there's, there's, a, there's a whole world of, of things out there. It's Yeah. It was, I think you're speaking about yourself more than you're speaking about me. I, I just remember on this podcast, I think, maybe it was before the podcast, I don't know, but just ranting about uh, Sunset Overdrive, and I couldn't wait for you to play Sunset Overdrive. You literally played it for three minutes. You said, fuck this... Uh, <laughs> fuck this tutorial and you put it down and you never touch it again.
1: I played that game for like half an hour and I was like this is fine but it's not what I want to play right now on the couch at my friend's house. This might be something I'd rather play by myself but like even then like Ratchet and Clank I put in like maybe five hours and I was like alright that was, that was fine. That's kind of the vibe I get from those kind of insomniac games. So I feel like you're holding that unfairly above my head. Listen motherfucker. Like every experience with a video game that you've ever had where you play Dark Souls for an hour and you're like I don't like it. You play Bloodborne, but you don't actually play because you have two of your friends like, just running you through the levels, and you're like, okay, this is okay, I guess. But you never play it by yourself the intended way. I'm just giving you shit. It's fine. But give me an option to skip the tutorial because I know how to play Magic the Gathering. If it was a new game, I would probably be like, okay, this is helpful because I don't know what, what things are. If I didn't know how to play Magic, I would love a tutorial to teach me how to play Magic instead of Mac and his bad explanations of shit, and like I didn't understand what things were. Took me years of researching the internet to understand what the stack was. The stack. Let me tell you dude, what the bud. mythical stack, my guy. It's it's rare. It's it's finicky. It's tough.
0: That oh, shit. But fuck me up, man. I still don't understand half of anything, man. You know, <laughs> like it's fucking ridiculous. Clearly, dude. it's 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 um ludicrous, as they say. All right. But anyway, man. I don't know. We we kind of. I feel like that was sort of sort of um aimless. Um other than just say, Hey, we're playing Magic again, which isn't strictly a video game, but if not for it's the technology, game. it is a game. Not a console. Video
1: games are based on games, all right? It's true.
0: This is the console crusade, not the, the gamer incel crusade, okay? It's so not the video game
1: classic games, video new game game news. Cart swap video game news carts cartouche. Listen, I can't tell you how happy I am we didn't use cart swap because
0: console crusade is so much fucking cooler. Card swap sounds like a sex move. Card swap, it's it's a little filthy. A little filthy. I'm kind of
1: into it more that it's filthy though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll start our second podcast and call card swap, and this is us. Oh man, doing whatever.
0: I don't know. Hey man, we still need to hit up this co- uh, pocket crusade. We we talked about that the mis- the the mythical pocket crusade over the years, often mentioned, never achieved. Well, Nick, thanks for letting me talk your fucking head off like a crazy person this week. It was wonderful. Next week, we got some buds who want to, you know, Chris, you want to hop in the pod. I almost said you want to hop in the pod as if he's listening to this fucking podcast right now. He's not.
1: Yeah, he's not. Um, he just wants to be on the podcast, not listen right, to it. Right. That's what I said when Leaf, Leaf texted me. and
0: He said, hey, you, you want uh, to record with Chris instead? Because we were kicking around the idea of recording with one of them today. I was like, I don't really want to talk non-video games with a guy who won't even listen to the podcast. Like, <laughs> rip Chris. Leaf, <laughs> our our bud, uh, went to Portland Retro Gaming Expo this last week. So next week we'll talk about that. Yeah, I had a co-worker who went to the Tetris World Championship, had a bunch of buds who went, and I was really bummed I didn't stick around and actually go. Like That would have been really cool. It would have been a lot of fun, and I just never even think about those kind of things because no one I know goes. Alexi well,
1: Pagetnov was there to like shake hands with the winner and stuff. Dude, very cool. The creator of Tetris himself. Right, right. It's cool as fuck. <laughs> I get to work at, you know, fucking 7.30 this morning and
0: we have our leadership meeting in the morning, right? And one of the project managers walks in and he's like, oh, sorry, I got I got back late last night. I was in Portland. And, you know, everyone's making small talk. And he's like, yeah, I went to the Tetris World Championship. I was like, what? Motherfucker? What? <laughs> like, th- this is not the guy you would expect to ever be like, oh, yeah, we went and watched our boy play. Seven-time world champ. He lost. And I was like... What were you doing to get this fucking... Are you serious?
1: Him and his wife went. I'm like, dude, I'm so jealous, man. Next year. Yeah, I was getting some like updates on Twitter about like the rankings and stuff. Seemed like it was a very uh, close matchup. And just watching competitive Tetris, it is mind-bottling. Mind-bottling shit they do. (laughs) Well, I'm curious to talk to Leaf because... Is a huge Tetris 99 player.
0: The dude is a fucking addict.
1: Yeah, it seems like every now and then I'll just like hop on my Switch and it's like two in the morning and I'm like, oh, one of my friends is online. wonder what they're doing. And it's nine times out of ten. It's Leaf playing Tetris 99. It is sad. I have never. But awesome. (laughs) Not in the last year logged on to my Switch
0: and not had a notification pop up to say Leaf is playing Tetris 99. Every time I've been on my Switch this year. Just hilarious. So we're going to talk to him about, about Tetris, Tetris World Championship, PRGE in general, and and so that'll, we'll, we'll aim to do that next
1: week. I wonder if he bought me any Game Boy games for my collection. Oh, that I guy. doubt it.
0: I, that guy. I dude, I tasked. I sent some of the boys out. And I realized they were there. Sunday, I gave my buddy Brandon a call and said, hey, I'm looking for some games. And what's funny is I'm looking for two games that I, I bought at the last expo I went to and then sold because I needed money a few years right. later. Sunday is not the day to be buying games. Well, very, very end of the day, might get some good deals. But you want to either be there really early. We can't even get there early and do it now because you have all these dickhead vendors who used to never be there, who started coming a couple years ago. And they go around before doors open for the public and they buy up all the fucking games from these little vendors. Because historically, PRGE has been like, that was like the last best kept secret of the collector's realm. It's like PRGE is where you can go. You can still get deals. It, it's it's one of the best conventions in retro game now, it's like collecting. one of the
1: actual biggest retro conventions, isn't it? It's uh one of the biggest,
0: and it's uh, become such a mainstream thing. You've got all these fucking dickhead resellers who own these big shops coming, it's not this little tight knit community thing anymore, which is which is a bummer. And even by the time that you and I went, it had transitioned from being that really tight knit community thing where it's like, hey, listen, I know this game's worth 150 bucks, but like we're homies. We're all collectors here. We're all here to have a good time. Here's a 50% discount or whatever. You know, it was like, well, you get some screaming deals. Now, you've got these big guys coming in taking advantage of, of of these smaller dudes. Like, I remember the first day we were there and looking for a copy of Pokemon Crystal. Everyone was sold out. Every single person was sold out. Guess what happened Sunday? We're walking the floor. One guy with the biggest booth there, fucking a shit ton of copies. That son of a bitch... Went everywhere. Bought every single copy of Pokemon Crystal. Went through. Checked, checked everything, right? Made sure it was all good to go. Put it out Sunday. But he cleaned the up. A huge markup. And I'm like, dude, I get that. If you're a businessman, you got to do that shit. But don't do it here, man. Don't come and take advantage of these smaller guys who are here to, like, be a part of the community and give back in a sense and just have a good time. And you come in here and fucking steamroll everybody. And it's like, dude, fuck you guys. I just hate that shit, man.
1: Yeah, it's really annoying, especially with a game that is so frequently bootlegged on like eBay and stuff. It's kind of it's kind of risky buying it online. You kind of want to buy it in person. Exactly. But at that point, you know, make a point to say, like, I'm glad that you paid money for these smaller guys. I'm sure I'm glad the smaller guys got that game bought from them. And I'm not going to buy it from you, though. So well, see, I can Someone t- else will. I bought my and I, I totally
0: regret selling it now because I bought my. My mint, box. mint complete in box Pokemon Crystal. I um, got a screaming deal, like 160 bucks or something. Just ridiculous deal. And nowadays, it's like, I mean, you're lucky if you could find something over 200 that's just beat the piss. And I'm like, dude. And I had to sell it because you know I was working at the time, and it, it just is what it is. I just sold my Pokemon Red as well. And I don't. I'm not a complete in box collector. Never was. And and as I'm paring down my collection, I'm like two games, right? That I from my childhood. That like Pokemon Crystal was the first game I ever bought. Like I want right. that complete, I want that experience of like being able to open that box one day and be like, damn, I remember being eight years old doing this shit. Nine years old.
1: You still have your uh, color modded red though, right? Correct. Okay. Where it's all the assets from
0: Gen 2, but right. Gen, Gen 1 remi- Yeah, I still have it. Which I bought at that expo, as,
1: along with like Sword of Seals, the Fire Emblem game. Uh, or what's the, the other The Binding name? Blade. Binding Blade, yeah. Sword of Seals was the fan translated name for a long time, but then they actually... referenced roy as the the binding blade in like a later game so then they could correctly translate the the title binding blade just a way fucking cooler name sort of seals is cool but it's hard to say because of those consecutive s's (laughs) means the same thing though think about it one sounds a lot cooler the binding blade all right bud constant crusade we're gonna play some
0: x-mage while you edit. Uh, I'm down to do that. you two birds stoned at once. We can play X-Mage and I can end the podcast. <laughs> two birds stoned. <laughs>